So you guys, our hope in these 40 days on prayer is quite simply that our church would be praying more often, um, praying more boldly in your prayers to God. And can we just do a little bit of like a self-check? Like, has that been happening? Um, If that hasn't been happening, then we have grossly failed, you know. But if you find yourselves praying more frequently and having more life and more spirit in your prayers, then I feel like, by God's grace, the goal of this series is being accomplished. Now, I I can just share for myself uh, personally uh, there seems to be in 2018 like a growing prayerlessness in my life. Um, you guys ever have like a, you, you, you share some kind of need to a friend and, and a friend goes, hey, I, I, I'm praying for you. you. You guys ever, you know, friends say that in your life a lot? Like I, I will never say that to a person. Oh, yeah, I'm praying for you because I, I feel like I don't want to say it and not pray. But I, I think a lot of times for me, I, I feel like, well, I'm going to pray when I feel like I have the right words and I have the right mind frame. I, I call it like a holy mind frame. But the thing is, in 2018, there, there wasn't a lot of times where I felt that holy mind frame. So I just wasn't praying as frequently as I would like to. I don't know if you guys can relate, like feeling like you have to have that holy mind frame to pray. Uh, pray the, the right prayer and the right words. And you're kind of waiting for those moments to finally get those prayers. Now, I, I feel like this series, for me, has been really renewing because the message has been, you don't have to think up the right words. Just come as you are. And the great love of God will meet you where you're at and transform your prayers. And I just feel like <laughs> that's a message that I totally Um, can use and um, has kind of renewed me and just coming to God with whatever is in here and bringing that to God and just really rejoicing in a God who meets me as I am. So it's been um, a good 40 days for me and I hope it has for you too. Now, for our last installment in these 40 days of prayer, I, I want to go back to the teachings of Jesus Have you guys ever read some of the things that Jesus taught about prayer? Like when was the last time you opened the Gospel of John and read some of the teachings that Jesus gave on prayer during the last week of his life, Holy Week? So this is very fitting for me to open this up on such a week as this. Now, if you look at these prayers, these collection of of teachings on on prayer that Jesus gave during the last week of his life, you will find that Jesus said some astounding things about prayer. Not a bunch of different teachings about prayer. It's not like five different points. It's really just one point. And it's this incredible promise that Jesus gives about prayer over and over again. Now, honestly, these promises of Jesus have made a lot of people pretty uncomfortable and pretty nervous. And I'm going to kind of take you through that. But let's go through this, this, this teaching of Jesus on prayer 
After the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples are sitting around a table, and he tells them this. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, I I want you to think about what Jesus just said. This is an amazing promise. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That's what Jesus said. Then in his next breath, he underlines his point. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, just to quote one of my favorite actors, Keanu Reeves, you read this and you're like, whoa. That that was it. That, That was... Later that night, as Jesus and his disciples head to Gethsemane, they're walking through the streets of Jerusalem. It's quite possible that they pass a vineyard and Jesus is inspired by what's happening in a, in a, in a grapevine. And Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Like, did he just say that? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is John 15, 17. Just like a branch that is connected to the grapevine, it's going to produce fruit. And apparently one of the the fruits of abiding in Jesus is answered prayer. And so then Jesus says in 16, So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Again and again and again. Oh, but we're not done. John 16, 23. Jesus comes to the end of his final teaching and he drives home a final point. Can you guess what the final point is? Jesus says, truly, truly, I said to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. When was the last time you read these words? Like, can you imagine if you were reading these words for the first time, you're like, really, whatever I ask? This is a promise that's dripping with grace. Now, over and over again, Jesus says, ask and I will give it to you. But he says it in different ways. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give it to you. Ask me and I will give it to you. Wow, what an incredible promise. Now, here is My question, what do we do with this incredible promise? That is my question. Now, now some of you, it's not really a question. You're like inspired. You're ready to go. You're like, well, then let's start asking, right? Others of you, maybe a little bit older in the faith, maybe a little bit more jaded, are not feeling necessarily inspired. Maybe you're feeling something else. Uh, Paul Miller, in his book, A Pray in Life, would give a prayer seminar, and he would read all these teachings about, about uh, prayer that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. Just lay it out for you, just like I did. And then he would respond to his class, how do you respond? What do you think? And this is what he said. He said, everyone felt uncomfortable. Everyone. One person asked, is he exaggerating? And then another person said, I don't like to fail, I don't like to fail, and so if I pray this way and it doesn't work, then I'm going to start questioning, like, is my faith real, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with God? And then another person said, you know, it's just not in my experience, I've prayed and it didn't happen, what do I do now? 
So my question for us today, this is the last installment of our prayer series. What do we do with these extravagant promises of Jesus about prayer? What do we do with these extravagant promises that Jesus makes about prayer? That's the question. Now, I've got to say, when I was in my 20s, I read these verses, and I was like, this is incredible, right? And so someone explained um, the, this promise that Jesus makes. And this is what they said to me. They said, look, the key to understanding what Jesus meant is unlocked in the clause in his name. It, it was almost like the in his name is like a cosmic disclaimer, okay? So in his name, according to this person who explained it to me, was synonymous with whatever is according to the will of God. So you can ask for anything just as long as it is in the will of God and God will do it. Now, I don't know. I mean, maybe you, I don't know what you think of that explanation. My first honest response is like, I'm not buying your explanation because you're taking an extravagant promise that's dripping with grace and you're kind of turning it into like a mind game, like a Jedi mind trick, you know? Like, whatever I ask, as long as it's what God wants, then he'll do it. And so that didn't really sound like a great explanation to me. Now, now Paul Miller said that he was reading one scholar who was trying to explain this, and he said, this is what the scholar wrote. The scholar wrote this. The, The scholar wrote, what Jesus is really saying is, ask me to do anything for you in the area of my work, and I'll do it. If we intend to be effective witnesses, we must employ God's assistance through prayer, asking only that his will be done, not ours, and only then will we have answered prayer. So the paraphrase for this scholar is that what Jesus really means is that if you're going on a mission trip and you're doing something that is considered religious and holy, such as witnessing Then God is going to help you, but you still have to ask that God's will be done. So, do you like that explanation? Is that a reasonable explanation? So, my feeling is that here's a scholar taking these promises of Jesus, dripping with grace, and reducing it to something that feels like manipulation, and then explaining it away. He seems to be saying that prayer only works... Because God is really concerned with clearly religious activities. So that is the locus of the area where he will help you if your prayers are in accordance to his will. The scholar gets at the infinity of God, but really misses the closeness of God. So that brings us back to our original question, which is, what do we do with the extravagant promises of Jesus? Now, can I just have us pause, and can I have us, like, turn to a neighbor, and I would like you to give your neighbor your best explanation for what do we do with this extravagant promise, okay? And really, when we do this, you you really get, like, 30 seconds each, and so let's start talking, let's start discussing, and then I'd like to come back and give you my best explanation. Go ahead, go.
<coughs> All right. <coughs> That's a pretty good question, right? Um, because we are in a large group forum, I'm, I'm just going to give you my best shot at, um, at this question. Uh, I think if we were in smaller groups, I'd love to hear what you guys came up with. Um, okay, so here we are. We're contemplating the extravagant promise of Christ about prayer. And we're like, what do we do with this? How, how, do, we, how, do, we, how do we live with this? How do we apply this? What do we do? I just want you to imagine that um, James comes into the scene. James is the biological brother of Jesus. He's the lead elder of the early church. And I think James, in his letter, is going to give us some missing pieces, especially if you turn to James chapter 4. So James comes, and I think what James wants to do is he wants to give us some balance. Maybe you have prayed a certain prayer, and it hasn't come to pass, it hasn't been answered, and you're scratching your head, and here comes James, and he's trying to give us some answers. So here's what he says, starting in 2b of chapter 4. James says this, he says, you don't have because you don't ask. All right, now, now what James does is he's going to give us two dangers in prayer. When it comes to prayer, there's two dangers, there's two extremes. He gives us the first one. The first danger is just not asking. Okay, that's, that's one danger. The second danger is right here in verse 2. James says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So the second danger is asking selfishly. The first danger is not asking at all. Now, let me just ask you a moment of reflection. Do you fall into one of these dangerous categories of either not asking or asking selfishly? Now, for the first people who um, have danger in not asking, I think it's worth asking, why are you not asking? Like, peel between the layers and look inside your heart. Like, why are you not asking? And uh, could it be a lack of faith? Could it be that you are self-reliant? Could it be that you are in a rhythm of life in the Bay Area where you can get by through the day without asking God for anything because you're so self-reliant? Could it be that you have asked for something in the past and it hasn't come to fruition? And so you got jaded by that and you stopped asking. But the danger here is a kind of prayerlessness. And the danger here is not asking. And the solution of Christ, and this is Luke 11. We we, we, uh, went through this uh, five weeks ago. Is to ask boldly. The solution here is cocky boldness. To ask often and to ask with cocky boldness. Now, the other extreme is asking selfishly. And there are problems with asking selfishly. One pastor said that the human heart is an idol factory. And an idol is anything that you look to and you love and you cherish more than Christ himself. It's anything you look to more than God to give you meaning, status, identity. And so if you're asking selfishly, then you're asking from a place of idolatry. And let me ask you, what would happen if you're asking from a place of idolatry and God gives you that answer? 
wouldn't he be like feeding your idolatry? You're like, God, help my kids to be successful. God, help me to get that promotion. God, help me to get into that top school. And God could give it to you, but there's a danger of, but what if he does give it to you? What if he's feeding your idolatry? Now, please don't get me wrong, success, promotion, top school, these are all good things, but they become dangerous things when we love them and pursue them more than we love and pursue Christ. So the solution here is to surrender yourself to God in prayer. It's to say, God, here is my request. I'm revealing my heart to you. But you know all things. I know one thing. You see all the angles. So I surrender this prayer request to you completely. I trust you. I trust you with the answer. On uh, talked about this last week. But you know where you see the perfect balance of prayer being demonstrated is Christ praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. This was last week. At that moment when Jesus was praying, it was the most terrifying moment of Christ. Because in a few hours, Jesus Christ was going to existentially be torn apart. He was going to be infinitely separated from his father in a way that he has never experienced before. It was existential hell. It was a huge deal. And frankly, he didn't want to go through it. So here is Christ, right, demonstrating perfect balance. He doesn't fall to one extreme, which is not to ask. What does Jesus do? Oh, man, he goes for it. He really does the asking. He says, God, all things are possible for you. I pray that you would remove this cup from me. Wow, Jesus Christ asked boldly. I can't think of a more bold thing to ask. But at the same time, what does he do? He doesn't go to the other extreme. He says, but not my will, but yours be done. This is perfect balance. This is like taking your heart to God and say, this is it. Just rendering yourself before. This is what's in my heart. This is what I'm asking from you because all things are possible. But then at the same time, you're saying, but I completely surrender to your will. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus had perfect balance to his promise. Okay. It's good for us to understand the critical structures of prayer, but we're still left with the promise of Jesus, which is ask whatever you wish, and how do we reconcile that, and what do we do with that? So the question is, if James comes and he brings balance to the promises of Jesus in prayer, then I think we kind of ask, well, then why didn't Jesus bring balance to his own promises? Like, you know, why is this found through James? And here is where I think the answer lies. Jesus gave this word to us because we are not balanced. Jesus gave this word to us because most of the people here in this room The problem is not that we're asking selfishly. I think the problem is that we're not asking at all. Like, if you were to seriously look at your prayer life, 
Are you one that is constantly relying on God every day, having this intimate fellowship with God, asking him for good things and seeing those responses? I think most of us, including myself, would say, no, not really. And so Jesus realizes that the greater problem is that we're not asking. And so he gives us this incredible promise that articulates the very heart of God. It's like Jesus is yelling from the rooftop. My father has a really big heart. He loves the details of your life. Come to him. Ask him. Ask him. He would love to do great things for you. And so Jesus gives us this incredible, extravagant promise. Because we're not balanced. Because we're not asking. Do you believe in that promise? Um, one thing, you know, I, I'm the kind of person that I, I, I'm not really sentimental. I don't really collect stuff. But sometimes on rare occasion, I will come across something that really resonates with my heart, and I will collect it, and I will keep it. What, right, right now, what I have is a card written to me from my mother on my 29th birthday. So you don't know how old I am, but if you did, you could do some math. You could realize that I've held on to this card for a long time. But she wrote something in this card that really just helped me understand her very heartbeat and her, the, the, the pulse of her heart. And so I kept it. I'm just going to read it to you. It's really short. But here she goes. She says, son, I love you. Happy birthday. And here's what my mom said. She says, if I can give you anything, I would. Happy birthday, 29th, Mom Joanne. Now look, she attached $5 to the card. Oh, Mom, thank you. That's so extravagant. But this is the very impulse of my mom. If there is anything that I could give you that would be good for you, I would give it to you. And if you look at my mom and her track record, it's very true. Like the last three cars that I have owned have all been given to me by my mother. Now, I never asked for any of those cars. She just gave it to me because she just saw that I had a need. That is the very heartbeat of God. If there's anything good that I can give you, I would give it to you. Uh, Here's another story of my mom. Um, So I used to have Yahoo. Yeah, I know. But I, I, and I used to have it, and there would be all these security breaches into Yahoo. So there was some thief that broke into my Yahoo account and sent an advertising to all of my contacts, advertising these magic powders. So they went to all of my contacts, including my mother, and my mother bought five cans. Yes, she did. She called me later on and told me she bought five cans. She said, oh, you sent me the the Yahoo. I bought five cans. I'm like, mom, what are you doing? That was not for me. But here's the point, okay? The point is you have to understand a mother's heart. The mom wants to give and give and give. And so she thought this advertising was from me. And so before she could use some discernment, her heart was like, yes, I'm going to buy it. And so she bought the magic powders. She's doing very well now in her health, thanks to the magic powders. But that is my mom's heart. That is a mother's heart. If there's anything I could give you, I would. Here is Jesus saying, do you understand the heart of God? If there's anything good he can give you, he would. Uh, Luke 11, 
You remember that parable? There is a friend who has a friend coming to him at midnight. So he goes to his neighbor and says, friend, I need three loaves. And so the friend reluctantly but eventually gives him three loaves. I've never really unpacked the three loaves to you. What is the meaning of the three loaves? The first loaf is for his friend. He's sitting across from his friend. Here's a loaf, friend. You're hungry? Here it is. The second loaf is so that he can eat with his friend. So now while you're eating, you have my company. We're both eating together. The third loaf is when this friend finishes the first loaf. He can go, hey, you want another loaf? Our God is a three-loaf God. He gives to your physical need. He gives to your relational need. And then he gives you a little extra for generosity. Our God is a three-loaf God. And that's what Jesus is saying over and over again. The teaching six times, ask whatever you wish in my name and God will give it to you. And so we would be crazy not to take advantage of that. And then Jesus is saying, exactly. So ask, ask. Know this intimate relationship with God where you come with your needs. And God in his generosity says, yes, I love you. Here you go. Let me give you extra. Do you know that relationship? Would you like to know that relationship? Now, um, at the risk of being and, and appearing too small, I just wanted to share from my own personal life for just a little bit. Um, ten days ago, I was journaling. I wrote down five prayer requests. And yesterday, I was on a plane ride. I opened the journal. I'm looking at the five prayer requests. And God has already answered four of them. Now, I, I just came back from vacation. I went to Taiwan. And again, I know this, this is going to sound very small, but th- this is just what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Like, in my own life, I just feel like, wow, there's this incredible invitation to ask. Why am I not asking? I want to ask. So during this vacation, I decided I'm going to ask God more often and for bolder things. So at 3 a.m., my daughter comes into my room, and she's got an ear infection. This is kind of scary, Right? Because we're, we're in a foreign land. I don't know the healthcare system. I don't know anything, really. I can't really speak Chinese very well. I don't know what to do. So what I do is I, I say, Reina, let's put our hands on Noel and let's start to pray. And so we just pray for God to heal her. I do eventually get up and start looking for medicine. Okay, I just want you to know that I was doing that too. I got the medicine finally. I came back home. She's sleeping. She was fine. The next day, she was fine. I, I didn't know ear infections go away that quickly. This is the generosity of God saying, I got you. Why are we not asking? Okay, now again, at the risk of appearing so small, I'm going to give you another thing that's going to make me look even worse. That's okay. So what happened is um, there's a lot of mosquitoes in Taiwan. Yes, and so I woke up in the middle of the night and I got bit four times from a mosquito, the same mosquito. Okay, so I'm up and about, you know what you do, you turn on the light and you're looking for that mosquito all over the room, right? And I can't find the mosquito and if I fall asleep again, it's going to bite me four more times. And so I didn't want that and so I prayed. God... Please help me find this mosquito because it's from hell. <laughs> I didn't find it. I'm like, oh, that's, that's interesting. I didn't find it. But that's fine. I went to bed. I woke up at 5 a.m. I no- don't normally do this, but I woke up and my eyes just opened. And right in front of my face was, 
with this mosquito. So I grab the electric tennis racket. You guys know what I'm talking about? Amen? That thing is wonderful. And it, it zapped. It zapped. And it was like, oh, Lord, thank you for zapping the mosquito from hell. Now, look, I know this is small. But is it true that God cares about the intimate details of your life? If it's true, then I can take anything to the dripping grace of God and say, God, this is on my heart. If I'm asking selfishly, I completely surrender my prayer, but this is me coming to you. Why not do that? It's an incredible invitation. Don't you want that kind of life that relies upon God and sees his answer to prayer Every day, big prayers, small prayers, every prayer in between to know the fellowship of God and his incredible heart for you. Now, I have to say this part because I need to just be honest, okay? I just need to be very real. Uh, one of my prayers in my life, I have maxiofacial pain. So it is really hard for me to talk sometimes. I've been praying for God to heal this and to take this pain away completely. And I've been praying it for 10 years. To this day, I have not been completely healed. But I will say this, because I'm a preacher with a broken voice, I know what it means to daily rely upon God. So there's been an added benefit to this. Like, I want to preach the gospel, and God has allowed me to preach the gospel. I have a broken voice and I want intimacy with God. God has given me intimacy with him. But he has not yet healed me completely of my vocal pain. Now I can still, knowing the very heart of God, know that he has not answered this prayer request. Because in his infinite wisdom, he knows that there are benefits to me by not being healed that could not be a benefit to me any other way. And so he has given me a very loving no. And I still know that whatever I ask, God grants it to me in Jesus' name. There's no doubt about that. It's still very true. I had someone explain to me that the asking in Jesus' name part is like a safeguard to make sure that you're praying according to the will of God. But you know, I don't think that's true. I don't think the in Jesus' name part of his promise is just trying to get you to pray the right prayer. I don't think that's true. It's like Jesus, when he says, pray in my name, is saying, my father is the great giver. I am the mediator between you and my father. I have died to pay for all the answers to prayers that you will ever get. It is not a safeguard to have you get another thing right. It is a promise that is dripping with grace through and through. The in Jesus' name means access to God. And let me put it this way. I want you to imagine that your prayer is a poorly dressed beggar reeking of alcohol and body odor, and you're coming to the palace of the great king to present your prayer. You shuffle towards the barred gate, and your smell reaches the gate before you do. You mumble a message I want to see the king. Your words are barely intelligible. But you whisper one final word. Jesus. 
I come in the name of Jesus. And at that name, the whole palace comes alive. The guards snap to attention. They bow low in front of you. Lights come on. The door flies open. You're ushered into the palace down a long hallway into the throne room of the great king who comes running to you and wraps his arms around you. Because it is through the name of Jesus that your prayers receive royal access. It's through the name of Jesus that your prayers get through. This is a grace to you. You pray according to the name of the mediator between God and humankind who makes your prayers get through. And so we pray in Jesus' name, in that wonderful, beautiful name. Church, it it seems to me that since we have this incredible access to God, And since we can come with prayers big and prayers small, and since we have next Sunday, Easter Sunday, and we've prepared a lot of things for that Sunday, baptisms, taco truck, seems to me that one prayer that's very worthy of our prayers is to pray for friends and families who might come. And to pray that they would hear the gospel, but really hear it in their hearts and to be transformed, to have faith. So I'm going to invite Janet to come forward. And church, I'm going to invite you all to pray. You have incredible access to Jesus Christ because of the death of your Savior. So let's pray all kinds of prayer, but let's not waste our prayers. Let's pray meaningful, mission-filled, spirit-filled prayer. Now, at this moment, I'm going to invite you just to pray, and I I want you just to choose one person. Maybe it's a loved one, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker. just one person that God brings to mind. Now, you can do this individually, or you can turn to someone next to you and say, let's just pray together. And then you can just lift them up to God and say, in Jesus' name, I'm praying for this person, not just to hear the gospel, but to believe it. And so, church, I'm just inviting you right now uh, as, um, to just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you want to pray with someone next to you, you can just go ahead and pray together. You can pray in, in a kind of a whisper voice. But now is your time just to call out to God. Let's not waste any of our prayers. We have incredible access to the Father God through the mediator, Jesus Christ. So let's be praying prayers filled with love for brother, sister, for coworker who doesn't know Jesus. We're contemplating their fate. We're contemplating the meaning of their life without Jesus. And we just want Jesus to be believed in through faith. Church, go ahead and pray. This time is yours to pray.
Father, I, I just believe that during this prayer time, you, you brought at least one name or one face. And so we want to pray for that person. Father, recently I've just been reflecting on how our lives are very short and you have given us an incredible mission to fulfill. It is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around us. I do ask that you would help our church to fulfill her calling and her mission. Father, we want to pray for that one person that you brought to our minds. Father, we know that um, unless a person is born again, they can't see the realities of Christ. They can't see his incredible promises. And so we just ask in Jesus' name that you would put faith into this person that we're praying for and they would be born again so they can see the realities of your kingdom and your promises. They can see the realities of what life and the afterlife is without you. They can see the realities of Jesus on the cross and the irresistible invitation of his sacrifice being believed upon by faith and what that means for our forgiveness and our restoration. Father, we pray that you would give faith to the person that we love. Father, we cannot do it. Good words and even an amazing drama alone cannot do it. It must be by your faith. It must be by your spirit that faith will be born. So we pray that even next Sunday, you would do above and beyond what we can do. Father, our lives are short. And so these loved ones, we pray that you would save them with the saving knowledge of the grace of God. I pray that you would make them open to an invitation to come to church. I pray that you would make us bold, not to just be bold and reckless, but to give an invitation that you are leading us to give. We pray that we would be faithful. We pray that your will would be done. And we pray that next week's service would be blessed that people would come here and just be like, I sense a presence here I've never felt before. Would you fill this service with your very presence, with your supernatural presence, and would you be transforming hearts to receive Jesus by faith? We pray that you will do what you alone can do, and we put our trust in you.